Hey everyone, this is Anthony Fleming, Senior Pastor of Church Alive, praying that this message is fresh, real, and powerful in your mind, your heart, your family, every part of your life. If you enjoy these messages, subscribe to it, share it with a friend to build their faith. God bless you as you lean in to the power and presence of God's Word. Well, good morning. How's everybody doing? I just heard someone give me the the eagle. So on three, everyone, we're going to do it. And if you don't know why we're doing an eagle shout, it's cool. You're new on the journey with us here at Church Alive, but you're, you're about to be blessed. So here we go. Everyone who knows what's up on three. One, two, three. Ah! Come on. Good deal. Can we welcome everyone who's joining us in the overflow as well this morning? Come on. For everyone in the overflow, the good news is our God is a God of overflow. So you are truly biblical today. But uh, we're going to pray and then we're going to get into it. Does that sound good? Come on now. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the power of your presence. God, we thank you for the power of your word. Uh, Lord, I pray that in this moment, any storms people face, I pray those storms would be, would be calm. They would be stilled at the mention of your name. Lord Jesus, I thank you that right now as we look into your word, there's the power to be transformed. There's the power to grow. There's the power to receive strength. And so, Jesus, we look into your word and we ask you to speak for we are listening. We love you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. And everybody said, amen. 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 Give your neighbor a high five. And as you're taking a seat, just look at the person you didn't high five and say, I'll see you at Transform. There you go. And someone look at your other neighbor and say, you look resilient. You got to say it like that. You look resilient. There it is. Do you guys love your pastors? I mean, do you really understand that when God looks to do a great work in a, in a city, one of, the, one of the greatest indicators of that is he blesses that city with leadership that has his heart. And I think you guys, if there was such a thing as a lottery for church pastors, um, you guys won. I, I hope you realize that, right? Um, and, and so can we show honor to your, to your pastors this morning? I was, I was honestly thinking about it during the worship, and it was a few years ago where I felt God put on my heart uh, to launch the ministry that my wife and I have recently just launched. And one of the first pastors I actually spoke to about it was Pastor Anthony. And he was affirming, and he was encouraging, and he was quick to point out how he saw that God could be in it. And so in a lot of ways... Um, what my wife and I are stepping into in this next season, it is Church Alive. It's your pastor's leadership and influence on us even along the way. And so, you know, I, in a lot of ways, I feel like Pastor Anthony's kind of like one of my big brothers in the faith. So I love this house. I love your leaders. Can we honor them one more time? And Pastor... 
Pastor Miriam, you were one of the greatest encouragements from afar to Lauren. And so we, we absolutely love you and respect you and value you as well. So, and a quick word, I felt like Verlani, when we were in worship, I felt like the Lord gave me a word for you. I hear that since I was last up here, you are now doctor, which is awesome. The doctor is in the house, y'all. The doctor is in the house. So, but I honestly, as we were just worshiping, I just felt, well, number one, I, I love your example because I am God willing, or as we say in the South, Lord willing and the creek don't rise. I will be graduating in May with my master's, not a doctorate. Uh, but you're an example to me in staying the course because right now I'm at that place where I'm like, I just want to quit in Jesus name. Um, and yet you, you have finished the race, but I felt during worship, I just felt like the Holy Spirit put in my heart for you that that watershed moment, it is not your qualification, it's your confirmation. That you're qualified in Christ, and what man puts on you pales in comparison to what God has put on you. And so it's a confirming, but there is a qualification that's even better. And as much as man has placed their well done on you, there is an applause and there is a, an approval and I think that there is a sense of you have proven yourself to be trustworthy in the eyes of God. And as you have shown yourself faithful in stewarding well what you have, um, there, you're, you're stepping into a season of God opening doors. And it's not doors opened by man. It's, it's, it's doors opened directly by God. And so it is not your qualification, your confirmation. So... Excited to see what God does for you. Um, I'm going to continue our series that you have been on as a church called This Is Our Faith. Someone look at your neighbor and say, this is my faith. Look at, look at your other neighbor you just, enjoy, or you just ignored and say, it's your faith too. And then loud enough to encourage our overflow, everyone say, this is our faith. There it is. Yeah, I want to ask a question this morning as we break open our time together today. Has anyone here ever run out of gas before? Come on now. Okay. Okay. Some people are laughing because they're like Lion King. Like, I laugh in the face of danger, right? It's like, no, really. Come on. Be proud in this moment. Who has run out of gas before? Come on now. Good deal. You will all be seated at the right hand of God. Where are all the people that you think you were just smart enough to say, no, I know how to read a fuel gauge. Where are you at? And so you never ran out of gas. There you go. All right. The bean counters of the kingdom right there. That's, that's who you all are. Let me, let me take it one step further. Have you ever run out of gas on a boat? Yeah, it's next level, y'all. I've been there. I did it. I did it on summer vacation with my family in 2021 with all my kids on the boat. You want to know how to make mama bear mad? You try to tell her that you ran out of gas on a boat with the kids, right? But we were, we were on the boat. It was the last day of the vacation. We were returning the boat because you got to return the boat like you return a car rental, right? And the plan was on the way, we were going to stop at a gas station, top off the boat because how many people know if you return that rental with less gas than you got it, you're going to have to cash in your 401k to be able to pay the rental agency. So we were about 300 yards from the gas station when we ran out of gas. And it was not cool. 
right? I mean, we're sitting there. My kids were like starting to like imagine like cast away. They're like trying to pick out the name for the volleyball on the boat kind of a thing. But uh, I was just like, you know what? We're in South Carolina. Easy day. No problem. I'm going to call the, the gas station here and let them know that we're the boat drifting right outside their window and they'll wait for us to drift in and we'll, we'll fuel the boat and it, no problems. Well, I called the gas station and I, I explained to the lady what was going on. I waved to her from the boat and I said, can you just stay open long enough for us to drift in and fuel our boat? And she said, ha, nope. And she hung up the phone. Now, all my people's in the overflow right now. You're, you're probably the people who ran out of gas on the way here today, and you were Ubered here in Jesus' name. But that's all right. I would be right there with you if Jonathan didn't rescue me like he did this morning, picked me up on the, on the way here. But, but here's the thing that happened. Um, I watched her walk all the way out to the end of the pier and lock up the gas station. Like, it was cold-blooded, y'all. But there's redemption in the story. When the, the agency, the rental group, finally got the boat back, you know what they found out? It was a faulty gauge. Not our fault. Yeah, I know. That's exactly what I did. I was like, yes, redemption. You know, like, give me my man card back, please. Thank you. And uh, he, here's the thing. That day we ran out of gas. And yes, I had a faulty gauge. But having a faulty gauge didn't suddenly put gas back in my tank. And when you have a faulty gauge, you're not immune to the consequences of the faultiness. And my question is, what are the gauges you're looking at in life? More specifically, what are the gauges we should be looking at in our faith? How do I know that I'm truly living out the faith of Scripture? How do I truly know that... Our faith that we've been talking about as a church over the past number of weeks, how do you know that the faith that work in you isn't just a faith that's kind of like the faith of Church Alive, but how do you know that our faith is your faith? How do I know that the faith of Jesus Christ, the faith of the true gospel, is really and truly at work in me? With the time that we have today, I want us to go ahead and look at Galatians chapter 5, Because it is in this chapter where Paul gives Christians a gauge. And the reason a gauge was needed is because a false gospel had infiltrated the church and it was confusing believers. There was a false teaching, a false faith, a false understanding that had worked its way into pulpits it had worked its way into people's hearts and Paul was coming in as a teacher and he was weeding out that false gospel and to do that he had to arm Christians with a gauge and so what I want to do this morning as we kick everything open is I want us to start by reading the gauge that Paul gave those Christians, the forebears of our faith, all those years ago in Galatia. And so if you have your Bibles, we're going to be picking up Galatians 5 at verse 16. And he says this, he says, but I say, walk by the Spirit. Someone say, Spirit. Spirit. Come on, someone in overflow, say it with us right now. Everyone say it with some faith. Everyone say, Spirit. Spirit. He says, walk by the Spirit and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. 
For the flesh sets its desire against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. So you look here in this passage, Paul is bringing up this comparison between spirit and flesh. And right here he mentions law to show that the flesh and the law are the same thing. Okay? He says, now the deeds of the flesh are evident, and they are. Someone say, make it plain. Paul's not, Paul's not leaving any question marks here. He says, the deeds of the flesh are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger. Someone's like, sounds like my morning commute. All right. Uh, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying. That's someone's social media feed right there. Drunkenness, <laughs> carousing, and things like these, which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you. So what is Paul saying? He's like, hey, by the way, I already told you this before. He's like, he's like, hey, just I'm reminding you of something I taught you in the past. That's what he's saying there. And he says, those who practice these things will not, someone say, will not, will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit, in other words, Paul's saying, but this is our faith. He says, it is love, it is joy. Our faith is peace. Our faith has patience. Our faith has kindness. Our faith has goodness. Our faith has faithfulness. Our faith has gentleness. Our faith has self-control to it. And against these things, there is no law. Now, those who belong to Christ Jesus, they have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires. See, if we were to really break into this text even more today and figure out why did Paul have to say these things, Paul had to say these things because false teachers had included cultural additives to the gospel. And these additives feared man more than they feared God. So in other words, there were teachings that were coming in where Jesus was no longer enough. And Paul is giving all these indicators for us to look at. Why? Because he wants you to know, how do I spot a false gospel? How do I spot a false faith, a false teaching when I encounter one? How do I know that it's not truly authentic, that it's not real, that it's not the things of God? And real clearly, he teaches us in this passage, the way that we do that is you study the fruit. Study the fruit. Look at the overflow of a person's life. Look at an overflow. Don't just look at how they, you know, holler and shout and amen the preaching on a Sunday morning. But look at the content of their life on a Wednesday. Don't just look at how, how good and clean and joyful they are when their team wins. Watch how they react when their team is losing the World Series in Jesus' name. Right? Right? Don't just watch when they get the promotion. Watch how they live their life when they get overlooked during the promotions. Come on, don't just look at how they respond when the healing comes. Study closely how they respond when the healing seems slow in coming. 
He's saying, look at the content of their life. Don't just look at when their kids are living the way they taught them to live. Look at how they follow Jesus when their kids seem further from God than ever. Look at the fruit of their life. You see, just as adding a flame to a tank of gasoline will produce an explosion, right? Like if I acted surprised, if I dropped a match in a, in a gas tank and then lost my eyebrows, you would look at me like, you are stupid. I don't see why you're surprised by this. What, what outcome did you expect, Joe? We know. Flame, gasoline, poof. Right? We know that. Well, can I tell you something? That in the same way... When we take the true gospel of Jesus Christ, not the, not the televangelist, blab it and grab it, prosperity gospel or whatever, you know, teaching du jour you can find on your television or your social media feed. But when we take the true gospel of Jesus Christ and it is not just added, not just sprinkled, but a life is actually immersed in that message, transformation will result. We need not be surprised when the works of God actually overtake a life wholly surrendered to him. So what I want to do with the time we have left today is I want to look at this passage and see what it can teach us about really how, how how do we gauge what's at work in our lives. I think there's some key takeaways that that Paul has for us this morning that I want to share with us. And the first takeaway is this, the true gospel forms a firm focus in you. Someone say, focus. Focus. Come on, someone look at your neighbor and say, are you focused? focused? Someone look at your other neighbor and say, I know you are. I know you are. There you go. In verse 17, it says, the desire of the flesh is against the spirit. If If you're in the habit of making notes in your Bible, highlight that word, underline that word, against And then it says again, the spirit is against the flesh. Highlight that word a second time. Paul is repeating himself. He's being thorough here because he wants us to see that spirit and flesh, they are against each other. They do not work with each other. They are not friends. They do not hang out. They don't root for the same team. He goes on and says, these are in opposition to one another. What is he getting at? Life in the flesh and life in the spirit, they do not mix. So can I tell you something? Our faith is not your faith if you're just trying to add Jesus to your life. Here in Church Alive, we are not just trying to add Jesus to our dreams. We're not just trying to add Jesus to our bank account, right? We're not like trying to salt bay our way through life with Jesus, right? That's, that's, that's not what we're doing here, okay? We're not just trying to add a little bit of Jesus to who we are. No, our lives are hidden in Christ. Here in this church, we believe that Christ is our firm foundation. Our lives are built on this truth that Christ Jesus came to save sinners of which I am the worst. That is what Paul brought it all back to in his own life. And so as long as you and I are trying to figure out, how do I have Jesus and the world? As we said in Georgia growing up, that dog don't hunt. That is not the faith of this house. The faith of this house is Christ and Christ alone. 
It's not how do I, how do I hold on to the life that I had before, date who I want to date. <laughs> the quietest y'all been all morning right there. Someone said, don't, don't mess with my sex life. Come on, pastor. Leave that alone. Come on. It's, it's not just Jesus light. It's not Christianity light. No, we're serious about being shaped in the mind, in the heart, in the image of Jesus in this house. Are you guys hearing what I'm saying today? So Paul's using these words to show us that life in the flesh and life in the spirit, they don't mix. And the reason he's clarifying this is because an unhealthy focus will expose you to deception. That if you're focused on the wrong thing, you're actually opening the door to deception in your life. And so my question to you this morning is, what are you focused on? What are you focused on in your journey with Jesus? Are you focused on staying blessed? Are you focused on just being comfortable? Can I tell you something? Is that the choice to follow Jesus is to follow him into a no-holds-barred fight. I have a quote on my phone right now because of the season I'm in, so I'm not pulling out my phone uh, to check my texts. I want to read to you a quote that I have on here that every time I open up my phone, it reminds me. Because I'm in a season that's a fight in a lot of different ways, in ways that I won't get into today. But there's, th this is a season to dig in and believe that God is who he says he is, and he's going to do what he told me he's going to do. And there is a quote that I have, and this is what it says. It says, always renounce a lesser good for the greater. This is the opposite of sin. And then it says this. Picture me with my teeth barred. K-bar combat knife, Marine Corps style, in my mouth. He says, picture me with my teeth barred, stalking joy, fully armed. Because this life is a highly dangerous quest. Can I tell you something? There's nothing safe about following Jesus. It will require you turning your back on this world and following him with the entirety of who you are. So what are you focused on? Can I, you know, when I was growing up, I played soccer. I was a very skilled soccer player. I had an opportunity for a full ride to play soccer in college. And um, I was the captain of my soccer team starting my sophomore year. So freshman year, was on the varsity squad, and from sophomore to the senior year, I was the captain of the team all three of those years. And when it was interesting, if you watched me play the game and my dad wasn't there, I was a very confident player. But my dad had this thing where his praise and his approval of me was only ever lasted a short period of time. And I knew I was only as appreciated as my last success. And so if you watched me in the game and I could be crushing it out there and all of a sudden, unexpectedly, my dad showed up to the game and I all of a sudden heard his voice from the sidelines, my skill on the field changed in an instant because I went from playing the game to being focused on what does my dad think of what I'm doing? And it's really hard to anticipate where the ball's going to go on that side of the field when I'm looking at my dad on this side of the field. And my play actually diminished when my dad showed up to my games because I became focused on something that wasn't even part of the game. And that's a picture of how some of us are living life. That God has a mission. He has a plan. He has a purpose for your life. But as we try to follow Jesus and, 
As I try to, as I say, Jesus, I love you and. Jesus, I want you and. As soon as and comes into the pursuit of our hearts, can I tell you something? You've opened the door to deception and actually following a faith that is not the true faith of this house. Paul is speaking to Galatian Christians here saying, hey, if you want to make sure that you're living in the fullness of the true gospel message, we have to have a firm focus on Christ in Christ alone. Listen to what, what Paul says here in Philippians 3, 7 to 8. He says, but whatever, someone say whatever. whatever. He says, whatever things were gained to me, I have counted them as a loss because of Christ. You hear the focus in his words? He says, more than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Jesus as my Lord for whom I suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as rubbish, so I may gain Christ. I want to ask you today, is Jesus enough for you? If Jesus never answered another prayer, would you still follow him? Is Christ enough? Is he still enough? It's crazy how you can watch people on a journey with Jesus. He answers their prayers and then their hearts turn. Come on, is he still your first love? Is he still the captain of your soul? Come on, are you still following him with the whole heart? Or are we watching him from a distance? Paul teaches us the true gospel forms a firm focus. Second thing he teaches us is that you have to see the connection between your life's fruit in your life's focus. Now, for the sake of time, I'm not going to reread the lists that Paul gives us in this passage, but he makes very clear to us that there are deeds of the flesh and there is fruit of the Spirit, right? And here's the question I want to ask us to consider this week, is reading these lists, when you look at your life, do you see dead deeds... Or do you see fresh fruit? Do you see anger? Or do you see joy? Do you see selfishness and jealousy and envying? Or do I see self-control? Do I see kindness? Do I see gentleness? What, what do you see in your life? Dead deeds or fresh fruit? I think it's important that we understand that this passage it is not prescriptive. Paul is not giving you a, a spiritual shopping list. Go to church. It's like going to the grocery store. And when you're there, get all the joy you can get. It's not what Paul's doing here. He's not giving you a prescriptive. Here, here's, a, here's a Holy Ghost. Uh, wow. Totally distracted there. I'm not going to go with where that. Someone say, help him, Jesus. I so want to say what I was going to say, but I'm not going to say it. All right. The Holy Spirit is not expecting us to read this passage and get this shopping list. I'm going to go out and get all these things. What Paul wants us to do is look at this text, and rather than saying, what work do I need to go do? He's saying, which life better describes you? Have you ever gone to Barnes & Noble and seen the books that couldn't sell, so they sold them real cheap? 
right? You've been through those sections. One of the books you always see there is some variation of the eat this, not that book. Why? Because no one wants to be told eat pomegranate seeds instead of dipping dots. It's a horrible idea. Just enjoy your dipping dots in Jesus' name, okay? Like, like no one wants to read that book. Instead of having a steak, have tofu. Get behind me, Satan, all right? It's like, no, no one wants to read that book. A lot of people look at this as if it's the eat this, not that book of Christian living. And that is not what Paul is doing here. He's asking you to pause, to reflect, to ask the Holy Spirit to speak to you and say, Holy Spirit, where am I in this passage? Because he's reminding us, hey, this life that we have, it is a work of the Spirit. You can't make joy flow in your life, but you can yield your life to the Holy Spirit, and the result of yielding the Holy Spirit will be supernatural joy welling up. I can't, I can't force peace into my life. But you know what I can do? I can dwell on the promises of God and the spirit of the Almighty will overshadow me. And he who looks into the night just as if it's day, I will have a sense of peace in my heart knowing that when I sleep, he who watches over Israel will never slumber nor sleep. So I can't, I can't chase down peace, but, but I, can, I can yield to the Holy Spirit and his peace can overtake me. So, so he's, he's revealing to us that your fruit reveals your focus. You see, you choose your focus and your focus will determine your fruit. You can't just choose what the fruit of your life will be. Your fruit is the result of what you have practiced in your life. And, and that's why in this passage, Paul says those who practice these things when he's talking about the deeds of the flesh, he says those who practice these things will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. Maybe you look in that passage, you say, well, pastor, it says anger, and those who, who have a spirit of anger won't inherit the kingdom of heaven. No, he's not saying that if you struggle with anger, you won't inherit the kingdom of heaven. He's saying, no, if you practice anger, you will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. If you practice drunkenness, you will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. If I practice sensuality, I will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. What does it mean to practice something? It means I actively look at how can I get better at doing it. To practice something says, how can I give more of my life to this? To practice something means, how can I, how can I get more friends that are like that? Practice means I give time, I give my heart, I give my energies, I give my finances. That's what practice is. And Paul is asking us to prayerfully consider what's the practice of my life? What am I practicing? Addiction is the fruit of a practice. I have practiced yielding my life to that drug, to that drink, to that approval, to that codependency, to that website. And as a result, that practice has now overtaken my life. 
beauty of the Christian journey is I can now practice yielding to the Holy Spirit and instead of being overcome by guilt and overcome by shame and overcome by regret and overcome by brokenness and overcome by generational breakdowns I can now be overcome by joy Paul is saying our faith this is our faith we get overcome by joy we become overcome by peace our lives are saturated with selflessness and gentleness and kindness our lives have a completely different fruit flowing out of them because our lives are rooted in an entirely different focus and in the focus of this world. So if you're looking at this and saying, Joe, what do I do with this message this week? I want to challenge you every morning before you go to work, why not read this passage from Paul and pray a simple prayer to the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, I pray that as I focus on the the reality of Jesus in my life today, I pray that you would sow the fruit of your spirit in my life. I'm not going to chase joy. I'm going to chase Jesus. And as I chase Jesus, joy will find me. Make that our prayer. And everyone in the overflow, stay with me right now. And as you go to bed each night, before your head hits the pillow, if you're married, pray this prayer with your spouse. Just say, Holy Spirit, reveal to me. Do I have dead deeds or fresh fruit in my life from this day? And if the Holy Spirit brings to memory dead deed moments, guilt off of you, shame off of you, surrender it to Jesus. And in that moment, say, Holy Spirit, this is my faith. That I am who Christ says I am. That I can do what Christ said I can do. And so I yield to you where I've missed the mark today, and I rest in knowing that tomorrow is a new day, and your mercies will meet me when I rise. Imagine the transformation in our lives, in our marriages, in our families, in our community, if that became our regular practice. To read the gauge, to surrender to God what is not of Him, and to realign our focus and out of that the fruit of the spirit rising up around us man if you're here today and you realize after i've been talking you're saying joe i've never heard anyone explain jesus like that before i've never heard anyone talk about the kingdom of god like that before but i need more joy i need more peace i I need that rest in my life you may not know it but what you're actually doing you are crying out for jesus You are crying out for his love, for his kingdom, for his peace to reign in your life. And so if you are in here today, or maybe you're with us in the overflow, and you don't know what it's like to be whole, and you don't know what it's like to be righteous, and you don't know what it's like to be accepted, and you don't know what it's like to be forgiven, and you don't know what it's like to be healed, and you don't know what it's like today to walk in wholeness and fullness and free from fear, friend, what your, your soul is crying out for is you are crying out for Jesus. And so right now, I want to speak to anyone here, and you want to be whole, and you want to be pure, and you want to be accepted, and you want to be righteous, and you want to live free, and you don't want to live broken anymore. Friend, there is hope for you, and that hope doesn't come through a 12-step plan. That hope doesn't come from a bigger paycheck. That hope doesn't come from who is or isn't president. That hope comes from surrendering your life to Jesus. You don't got to fix yourself. You come to him just the way that you are. 
just the way that you are. If you are broken, if you are hurting, there is healing, there is acceptance, and there is grace in Jesus today. And with every head bowed and every eye closed in this moment, we'll just remain standing together now. Every head bowed, every eye closed. You're in this place and you're saying, Joe, you are talking to me. I need Jesus. This isn't saying, Joe, that was a good word. Pray for me. I'm already a Christian. No, you, you know you are lost. You know you are broken. You know you need saving today. I am talking to you. I'm not going to ask you to come to the front of the room, but right where you're standing here in this room or in the overflow, I want to pray with you. I want to pray for you that Jesus can cleanse you of your sin. He can make all things new as you surrender, not just part of your life, but your whole life to him. So the gospel truth can flow in you. And I know there are many people here today, and this is your moment. You, God has more for you, but it starts with surrender to Him. If you have been living unsurrendered to Jesus, but you know in this moment that God is knocking on the door of your heart, and that you need saving, that is you in this place. I'm going to count to three, and I want you to lift your hand high enough and long enough for me to see it. One, two, three. Go ahead, put your hand up. Man, there are hands going up all over the room. I believe there are hands even going up right now in the overflow. I see hands over here, over there, over there, over there, over there, over there, over there. Another hand over here. Yes, sir, I see your hand there. I see another hand right here. There's hands all through this row here. Almost the whole corner of a room over here. Other people, I see that hand all the way over there. Come on, in the overflow, more hands going up. I'm believing right now that in that overflow space, God's presence is invading that room right now and people are saying yes to Jesus. Come on, Church Alive. Let's thank God for every single person responding to Jesus. We're going to pray a prayer right now. It's a simple prayer. It's not about the words. God looks at the heart. So everyone, let's all pray this prayer. Everyone say, Jesus, I'm trusting you. Forgive me of my sin. Save me. Make me live again. Thank you for loving me and treating me better than I deserve. I believe you are good. I believe what you do is also good. So I trust you and I surrender to you my whole life, my past, my present, and my future. It is yours. You have saved me. I am a child of God. And I ask you to be Lord of my life. Amen.